With all due respect, what the f*** are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know... That's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in hell. Well, Norbank, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen, Matt Byrne on the board. S&P futures down 33, Nasdaq futures down 160 after a, kind of a wild move in Microsoft after their earnings yesterday. Mm. Uh, Microsoft uh, came out, the earnings were down in the quarter, but all of a sudden everybody thought they were like better than something. So the stock, which was trading roughly... Uh, 241-ish, 242 trades like 250 or 251. <clears throat> it was up like uh, almost 11, 12 dollars, and then they had their uh, call, and all of a sudden the guy outlined business going not so good going forward. And actually, I think it was the lady uh, CEO, CFO, uh, and all of a sudden the stock turned right around, and now it's down uh, 684, trading 235. So a huge swing. Mm. The uh, Nasdaq futures jumped 65 on that number right after the close, right about like 301. And now they're down uh, 158. So uh, that's interesting. So, Matt, would you like to opine how nice it is to drive into Chicago in a snowstorm? I, <laughs> I can tell you. Uh, it's certainly uh, slippery out there. It's certainly wet. Uh, and it's hard to see, uh, especially I, I was driving on the Kennedy going on the inbound. And, uh, yeah, people, I, it's, it's, uh, you, know, you know people are taking it seriously when they're going only 60 miles per hour, when they're actually going the speed limit. Well, yeah, but you got you can't go lower than that, even yeah. if it's ice, though, because oh, you yeah. got an SUV. But it, it's amazing that people actually are following the rules uh, uh, when their life is actually at stake. So oh there's God. that. Do we have Mr. Kevin? We do indeed. Kevin, how are you? Good morning. Hey, talk fast. The doomsday clock is down to ninety seconds before midnight. Um, really? Where we? Th- who still does that? I mean, who did do it? Who does do it? Is that who, who's in charge of the doomsday clock? Yeah, some people in Washington, right? There's some. Uh, there is a uh, an outfit the uh, um, of atomic scientists. Mm. Uh, it was adjusted by the at the bulletin of atomic scientists. Um, what's the closest it's ever gotten? Cuban Missile Crisis. I think we're there. That's right. I yeah. think we're there. I'm I'm, I'm not even sure uh, it got you know that I don't know if they were doing it during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, but um, you know we, when we were you know mid nineties, we were all the way out to like seventeen minutes. There's you know, I'm, I'm watching a rundown of the clock, 90 seconds in 2023, seven minutes in the early 50s, so <laughs> got, got down to two minutes for the Cuban Missile Crisis, so I, I, I don't know that we're uh, 
I don't know that we're counting well. Maybe that's inflation adjusted. I uh, obviously we were very we were very utes at the time. Uh, I don't rec- I don't really see this situation as as bad as that. Do you? Well, yes and no. Um, you know, we look. We we had the confrontation, and the and what we know now is that the Russian army um, had tactical nuclear devices ready to go if if uh, anybody actually invaded Cuba. Uh, so that you know that part is uh, you know had us had us closer probably than we even realized. Um, by the same token. You look at it now, and if if Putin is going to lose, let's just say I, I, I don't. It's not looking like that's where we are. It looks more like. And actually, uh, there was an article I read yesterday. I have to find it again. That suggests that the uh, Biden administration's tactic isn't necessarily for Ukraine to win. It's to uh, uh, keep Russia locked up in this and, and damage uh, the Russians. And, yeah. and the damage Putin without uh, without actually knocking them off because uh, they don't they don't know what would be better. But if, if you're Putin and you sort of have some insight into the man, is he willing to use nuclear weapons if the alternative is losing the war in Ukraine? And yeah. I don't necessarily have confidence that no, he's got you know he, he's he's a uh, thoughtful, uh, judicious man who would never do such a thing. Uh. I'm going down a road here to Lou says I shouldn't go because I don't understand the mentality, which I don't. Do you think his people will fire if he tells them to? I don't know. I don't know. And and one of the things, and I, I mentioned this when we were we had some email discussion about this. Um, one of the things that uh, that that helps it helps him. It has been the the Kim family, the generations of the Kim family who've been in charge in North Korea, uh, is that the idea that they are just crazy enough to do it. And that has people approach with caution, with more caution and more deference in the the case of North Korea than they really deserve. Um, But by the same token, if you don't know what they're going to do, you you don't want to trigger anything. I actually think that was uh, a little bit of why people didn't push too hard when Trump was president. They were never quite sure of what he was going to do, even though his history was that he was pretty measured. I even remember him calling off an airstrike um, because it would uh, there would be a lot of collateral damage. Um, but you know, even if it was because media kept saying, "Well, he's pushing us to the brink of war with his rhetoric," whatever it was. You know, people people didn't have the predictability of what he was going to do, and I I, I actually see some value in that. Um, I would I would say that as much as people uh, criticize everybody, and, and I've been a the most outspoken critic of Trump I think ever because I didn't like the guy long before he got in there, but I would I would still never accuse the man of of. Uh, Lobbing stuff up out there and not caring who he kills. I, I, I would never accuse him of that. I, uh, I mean, I don't think any American, especially when you get to that spot, that's got to be the hardest. One of the, one of anybody, I don't know, the, the movies, you know, whatever, kind of cute and whatever. Of course, I like Annette Benning, so it's okay with me. But if you watch the American president, uh, when they had to give a measured response to someplace, was it Michael Douglas was, was talking about how, uh, one guy, one, one reporter asked him, uh, 
like you're acting presidential because they bombed some place. He goes, that's the least presidential thing I've ever done is to kill somebody. What's the matter with you? <laughs> you know, where, they, where, they, where he, he kept asking the questions, they're going to take out a target, uh, you know, a, uh, I forget what they were bombing, but it was some kind of a, it was a, you know, a, a place where all the generals gathered during the day, whatever you want, a command post or something, and they, they decided to uh, bomb it at night because nobody was there because they wanted it to be more... And he said, I, so I just killed some, some poor janitor who just went to school, went, went to work with a family not knowing he's going to get killed tonight. He goes, that's not presidential. I mean, I would never accuse Trump of that. As much as people think he was a goofball, I, I, I don't think he could do that. I mean, I don't think anybody here can. No, and I, I think he actually, you know, there's, there's precedent that says he wouldn't do yeah. that. So, um, so we have it. I, you know, so, you know, that's, uh, you know, to answer your question, are we really that close? I don't know. Um, and and honestly, I I don't know uh, how much fealty to Putin there would be if he if he issued the order. Um, I just don't have a feeling. I'd be interested in Lou's perspective on that tomorrow. Yeah. So you know, does does he think they would? But um, but we'll see. Well, I mean, we'll I see. you you could you could take the if Biden is is doing that, uh, and, and you know what, I, evidence seems to think that that's you know kind of what is happening. I don't know if that's the wrong strategy. Actually, I mean that is. But it's not that much different than our strategy when the Russians had Afghanistan before. But what would have happened, it was long before Mad Burn, uh, what would have happened if you'd have walked into, I don't forget what, what even year that was, if you'd have walked into a, a coffee shop in Frisco or say some bar on the south side or some bar downtown and said in 19, when was this, Kevin, 1990-something, uh, if you'd have walked in and said, I think the Russians are going to pull out of Afghanistan and 15 years from now, we're going to be over there in the same mess. I think if they had a straitjacket in the back room, they'd have put it on you. I mean, the, the, the thought of any, the, the thought of that happening was 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 what one in a thousand chance that we will, we all of a sudden would become the Russians, getting our ass kicked by people running out of the highlands and blowing up bombs. Uh, I mean, uh, there there is certain well, and and it's a classic example of mission creep. You know, yeah. it's, it's just like half of the things that happen in the world, every project or every mission that happens in the world is everybody's got to throw in their, you know, their extra um, extra objectives and, uh, and that always proves costly. Uh, if, you know, if the idea in Afghanistan had all along been a retaliatory strike uh, because of the World Trade Tower, uh, the, you know, the 9-11 attacks and um, and, and you know, and, and the Taliban's uh, role in supporting and housing um, the, uh, uh, the some of the people involved, then I think you know that could have been an effective tactic, and and it could have been a really you know badass type of attack. But yeah, we we let this creep into uh, uh, nation building, and uh, you know it, it it just was not it, it would, that was never doable. Well, I'm I'm never going to give any sort of a. Uh Excuse to Osama bin Laden, but at one point, wasn't he our boy? Where he, he was, he was fighting against. The uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good characterization, but he, he, we did, um, you know, supply a lot of arms and so on in Afghanistan. Why? Because it damaged the Russians. But I'm saying he, when we, his, his feeling. I mean, I don't, Lou probably knows the history of this more, or actually Mike was coming on later. Uh, we we essentially abandoned, in his mind, his cause because didn't weren't we supplying him with a bunch of stuff and he turned out that he hated Americans. 
I didn't, somehow or another, there was a connection there that we were, it wasn't like he just woke up one day and hated Americans. There was some connection about we were doing something over there, and then we abandoned whoever the people were helping us fight the Russians, which, of course, we do all the time. Yeah, get, get that. I, I don't, if that's the history, I don't know it, but um, I, I think it was I said, ideology I said it, as much as anything. Well, I said in his mind, somehow or another, you know, we became, we went from just being like really bad people to the great Satan, and I think a lot of it had to do with us. I mean, we're, it's not like whenever we leave... Well, at least we weren't the merely good Satan or, yeah, or yeah. the mediocre Satan. We were the great Satan. Oh, yeah. It's a, you know, <laughs> but, I mean, somewhere along the line, I mean, you, I mean, you can... You can clearly say that we, you know, I mean, I, I think we abandoned some people in Vietnam. I mean, I think we abandoned some people in Afghanistan. I mean, we seem we seem pretty we good. We just at did, yeah. Yeah, we just did. I mean, so, I, uh, anyway, I mean, it's not like so as to what our motives really are. I mean, I've had a couple of people from Ukraine stop by our 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 caucus table and say, "Boy, everybody's just giving us enough to to hang in there, but not enough to win." I mean, I I, I suspect that there's something to that. Uh, Spanish Civil War is the same way, right? I mean. Uh, so, anywho, I don't know. I hope just hope it. Oh, I want to make sure we hit. Uh, I, I want to hit Microsoft for a minute, and yeah. I want to. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, mass layoffs, and just throw in a couple of uh, well, a little. Okay, bit we got to talk about Microsoft more than a minute because I don't know anything about all these different business uh, lines that they're talking about. So what? what well, and and that's what I don't know, and and that's all I wanted to highlight is I really would like to get in and let's see which business lines, and I, I haven't seen the report, I haven't seen the earnings report, so I, I don't know. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if you're talking operating systems, uh, if they're not selling windows, that means people aren't selling computers, and that's not good for the economy, that's not a good indicator, um, because that's, you know, people don't just go out and buy windows, they buy computers, that comes with windows license and so on. Um, if they're not buying cloud services, that's interesting. Um, that means that there is not a growth in, you know, in, in the type of businesses that use cloud services, which is just about everybody now, um, and and especially new businesses because new businesses aren't buying the hardware anymore. If they're not buying database systems, uh, I'd like to see what that looks like. So there's there there are all these key lines of business and. Uh, Microsoft is a once-removed indicator of them, uh, of the activities that are going on elsewhere in the business world. Well, he, uh, I'll just kind of paraphrase what we're saying. By the way, a Boeing just reported, and they're down 8 bucks. Quarterly losses, labor and supply strains overshadow increase in jet demand. Anyway, here's a, this is by uh, Jordan Norvet of CNBC. In particular, Microsoft now, in particular, the company saw less growth than expected in Microsoft 365 productivity software prescriptions. Subscriptions. I'm not sure what that is. Okay, I, that, that's that's online Word, Excel, etc., PowerPoint, and you, all of that. Identity and security services and business-oriented window projects. Uh, uh, growth in consumption of the company's cloud computing service Azure also slowed down. She said, "The Xbox and that kind of stuff was uh, was, was here's." Uh, I'm trying to get a, a feel for the company sells products such as Xbox consoles and Surface PCs. Surface, I don't know what that is, but most of its revenue comes yeah, from. They, they do sell Surface PCs. Hardly anybody buys them. But what is okay. a Surface PC? It, it's it's a tablet, basically. It's a Windows. Okay, tablet. all right. But most of its revenue comes from commercial clients such as companies, schools, and governments. That's where the impact will show up. A metric dubbed Microsoft Cloud including Azure commercial subscriptions to Microsoft 365, commercial LinkedIn services, and Dynamics 365 enterprise software. I don't know what that is. 
now represents 51% of total sales, and that's the side that's that's sliding or not or not growing as fast. So I, that's that's telling me uh, business activity in general slowing down. I would say um, that's not good. No. Mm. Uh, so you know, who, I don't care about Microsoft, but I care about Microsoft's customers. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying, and I and this is not a good indicator for Microsoft's customers. Now here's a Bill Gates quote I just saw here that really none of us can do anything about, even the young ba- Matt Byrne. Better to be born twenty years from now than any time in the past. <laughs> how do we? How do we? How do we pull that one off, Kevin? Uh, that's a, that's a darn good question. Uh, I you know how much stock I put in what anything Bill Gates has to say. Where did he become this prognosticator? I mean, just because you have money, all of a sudden you, you people are supposed to listen to you, like like yep. Mark, like Mark Cuban. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, actually, I'd probably listen to Mark Cuban before I listen to Bill Gates. God. The uh, <laughs> here it says no. This is uh, what's the lady's name? Hood said that I, Azure growth would slow down more in the full December quarter. Revenue from Azure and other cloud services rose forty two percent in constant currency, but in December growth was in the mid thirty percent range in the constant currency. And she forecast a further slowdown of four to five percentage points in the current quarter, which ends in which ends in March. Um, so it's not as it was a pretty uh, pretty bad call. With Microsoft, shall we shall we say so? Um, anyway, that's what uh, that's where that one all is. So the stack, for whatever reason, people thought it was a good good news, and it shut up uh, twelve points, and now it's down only only six, so two two thirty six. Uh, I did a I did a earnings play in there. I did the forty puts, so I should be happy. We'll see if it. But then again, who knows where it's going to be by the opening, Kevin? You can't you can't count your chickens before you can trade it, right? Uh, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Plus, uh, plus um, it's, it's two weeks out, so uh, anyway, we're going to talk with Mike uh, a little bit because Berlin and Albury sending tanks to Ukraine, so Mike is going to give us a, a rundown of, I mean, since you know, most people only think of tanks, they think of World War II. I mean, I don't even know what the hell kind of tanks people have now and what the, what the cost are of these things and how many we have and are we, are we producing them on a monthly basis. And, well, we also have to ask Mike if he, too, has classified documents at his house. If he doesn't, he's going to um, feel like he's, he's, he's some kind of schlump. Man, it seems like everyone's got them in, in their house <laughs> now. But, hey, the other thing, the other thing I wanted to just uh, to mention real quickly is you, you've had some conversations over the last couple of days uh, about the mass layoffs and how the Warren yeah. Act comes into play and so on. And for people who don't know, WARN is an acronym. It stands for the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act. Um, by the way, side issue, uh, did you notice uh, uh, Hawley uh, yesterday proposed a uh, uh, legislation that would, uh, that would um, uh, prevent people in Congress from trading and owning uh, uh, stocks and, and some other kinds of securities? Uh, it is called the, let's see, where did it go? It's um, called the... It's an acronym. It's a great acronym. The Preventing Elective Leaders from Owning Securities and Investments Act. The P-E-L-O-S-I Act. The Pelosi Act. I, I think what they should do is uh, is call it the uh, Why Would I Want to Be Here If I Can't Get Rich Act. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. I just think it's funny. I, you know, it's it's going to go nowhere, and it's certainly not going to go you know, anywhere why, why, with Pelosi's why, why, name attached. First of all, why do you, why but do it's you, still pretty funny. Why do you say that? Since it passed before, it passed. Why do I say that? Because nothing, nothing that 
clips the wings of Congress is going to go anywhere. Any, is Congress going to clip its own wings? If I, I, if I, re- so. if I recall, oh wait, Carl, uh, I'll talk, make sure, because he's always all over this stuff. I think a, a bill like that passed before Obama got in office, and in a very dead time or a very time when they snuck it back, they snuck they snuck the ability to trade back in some other bill where nobody even noticed it. I think there was a, a bill passed that prevented that stuff back in the Bush era. Okay, well, well and that's what I mean by it's going to go nowhere. Whatever, whatever they do, it's not going to stop them. Uh, it's not going to change anything. But anyway, back to the Warren Act. Um, a, a couple of things. One is uh, the 60-day the notice. Um, in most cases, they are not going to uh, keep the people on board. They pay them for the 60 days. Because right. you're paying them for the 60 days regardless. And unless you think they're doing something profitable in the interim or something that might have value down the road, uh, all of those people also have various uh, uh, um, very, uh, variable expenses associated with them being there. So it's, you know, there's more than just the salary you pay. There is the expense of having people there using telephones, using office supplies, using, you know, using space, frankly, that, uh, that they might be able to release, uh, uh, and, and you name it. So most businesses will give the 60-day notice, and then they'll pay your 60 days and send you on your way. Um, now, the second thing to consider, because you were talking a lot about, you know, say there's a 10% layoff across the board. Um, and and the folly of doing it that way, and and I agree. And in fact, I've I've in in a couple of cases, um, because I having been through that the first time, uh, where everybody had to pony up some people, I just ran my departments lean as lean as possible, um, worked with my team to be as efficient as possible, and and had them involved in it, and constantly made the case and made you know like to my bosses to the CEO or whomever that here's what we're doing we are running we are not your problem we are not the ones padding your payroll and uh, and then when it came time to uh, 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 for layoffs in some cases we didn't get touched but aside from that the other consideration that is part of doing a major layoff is they actually have to go through and count the number of you know who is affected you can't go through and lay off all your old people for instance or all your old you know everybody over 50 because people over 50 tend to make more money than people in their 20s uh, <laughs> and uh, so you, you can't you can't just go lay off all the old people they go through and they have uh, you know race-based evaluations uh, gender-based evaluations all of those kinds of things have to be uh, you know they have to have everybody sign off on it to make sure that they don't have any disproportionate effects on any uh, protected um, you know a- anybody who's protected uh, um, a protected group in the, uh, the uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the act the Civil Rights Act yeah um, so so that's also a big part of the equation so when they when they do say um, you know you, you can't just go out and, and, and say well I'm going to get rid of the bottom 10 percent of my done anything about them yet, then they're assumed to be performing adequately, and now you can't go say, well, the bottom 10%, all, uh, you know, uh, 8%, uh, 8 of the 10 uh, uh, happen to be uh, African American, or 8 of the 10 happen to be uh, 55 or older. You won't get away with that. That'll get you sued. Well, the, uh, 
the issue, by the way, my stepfather did something years and years ago, similar to you. Uh, his vice president of finance, he was a controller, said, you know, you got to get rid of a couple people. So he said, well, how about taking a walk with me? And he walked out to his office. You know, in those days, people were all whacking away and uh, adding machines and stuff because everything was manual. And he had like eight or ten people there, and he goes, everybody's where He goes, what do you see? The guy goes, looks to me like everybody's working. He goes, okay, you pick the two. What don't you need? You don't need accounts payable. You don't need accounts receivable. And the guy says, all right, you don't have to lay anybody off. <laughs> but I, I, it, Well, and, and see, when, when things are going well um, and, uh, and everybody's flush, you, you have, and this is crappy management, but you have managers who are just going through and saying, oh, I need more people. I need of this. I need of that. And they keep, they keep hiring away indiscriminately. Um, without really looking at their work process, and with, you know, are there times that you have to expand? Sure. Are there times when it makes sense to add staff on there? Of we course. got a dish to break here. We're going to have a uh, uh, break. The problem here. is going crazy on it. We're going to have a break here, but I'm going to say uh, the first thing you do if you can is you hire somebody to do what you're supposed to be doing. If you're a controller, you hire an assistant controller because then he does all the work and you just sit there and pontificate. Right. Yeah, that'll get that'll, that'll work for you. When well, you but it works great. I mean, what do they used to call them? One-on-one <laughs> one, one one reporting relationships. You know, the the the, manage, the whole style was: if you're the vice president of finance, you have a controller. You got a, somebody else. Somebody else. You got you got five people working underneath you. You've got your uh, whatever whatever people that are there. You might have uh, you could well. I'm, we'll go have to talk about this after break. But at the end of the day, if you just have if one person reports only to you, usually there should be only be one person there. But, but there's two, which is nice. Yeah, and, and so it gets to how many yeah. layers do you have and how, how steep is your pyramid. S&P Futures down 33. Dan's every time we're going to go for a brief break because we were a little bit late getting started today. We'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Alm. I'm Matt on the board. SP Futures down 32. And their futures down 150. This coincides with the huge swing in a... Uh, you know, Microsoft yesterday, plus Boeing is down, well, it was down 8 bucks after the earnings, now it's only down 3 so it's recovered right away. Without futures are down 230, 
individual stocks. Microsoft, like I said, is down six. Uh, Boeing's down three. So just about everything in the Dow is uh, is red, but not not Coke's the only one that's up three cents. Everything else is down. Uh, over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 56.4%. These guys have been pretty bullish lately, but so they're down a little bit today. FTSE down seven, call that flat. Gek around down 19, but it's 0.3%. Over in Asia, again, China's closed. Um, the uh, Nikkei's up 95 points, 0.3. They've been very buoyant over there, shall we say. Yesterday, <clears throat> the Dow was up 104, but the S&P was down 2, and the Nasdaq down 30, so it was a mixed bag uh, yesterday. We've got bands down 4 basis points, 3.42. Uh, the Bund is down 7 base points, 2.09, heading back toward that 2% number. Japan up 5 to 0.46, so they're heading toward their their top top of 50 again. We've got oil uh, down three cents, 80.10. Danger of going back under 80 was 82 bucks uh, two days ago. Uh, Brent down 12 cents, 86.01. Natural gas down 15 cents, 310. This thing's in danger of going under three bucks. That's amazing considering what utilities are charging. We've got gold down eight bucks, but still 19.26. Gold's been railing pretty heavy lately. Silver down 22 cents, but still over 23.50, 23.52. Copper down a penny, 423. We got Bitcoin down 294, 22,681, but still way higher than it has been. U.S. dollar is uh, up today a little bit. It's causing that's what's caused part of the this, this, this movement. Euro is uh, still it's 108. And we're, we're having any kind of movement. It's only down 17 basis points. The euro and uh, British pound still at 123. So it's been real steady in this area for a while. Not like it was moving 1% a day. Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic weather sports. Uh, weather's the, the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, good morning. Currently 6.50 a.m. on January 25th, 2023. Just the weather for now. Uh, currently in Chicago, uh, snow showers if you uh, if you haven't stuck your head outside. Right now, 33 degrees, a high of 34 later today. As far as this week, a chance of snow tomorrow that continues through Saturday. So this isn't ending, folks. Uh, right now in Phoenix, clear skies. Currently 35 degrees, a high of 60 and a low of 30. I can't even imagine. Uh, that's all I got right now. Back to you, Chief. So, uh, Kevin, the the act. I mean, it's it's interesting how the uh, this is not a well, it is a comparison, I guess, but uh, there's no there's no conclusion to it. It's just a, a comparison. When I'm going to say when you have a what do you want to use the term white collar layoffs? I mean, it's it's all about getting people out the door, right? Here's your well, point. it is. I mean, you you might need you might need people to stick around a little while for transition, but first of all. You're not getting good attitudes yeah. at that point. Once once you've informed somebody that you're leaving, um, and, uh, and and the second thing is that when you do that, the man there's a it's a big management challenge because the first thing you've done, what you've done there, is you've completely undermined trust with the entire workforce. There, you know, if if you had it, you don't have it anymore. And so the second thing is that once you do that, and once you take care of, and you should, you should, uh, it's not just the 60 days notice or the severance pay, um, but there, you know, it, there, there are better and worse ways to let people go and to have those conversations with people that, it, you know, everybody notices. So the, first, the, the thing you, that happens is everybody who's staying still knows how you treated people on the way out the door. And so that becomes a very important aspect of it. And then as soon as you have taken care of all of that business, you better turn your attention to the people who are staying because presumably you didn't want them to leave. You kept them. Um, and if you kept them and you want to keep them, um, you know, then you better turn around and start becoming a really, really effective leader with them to, uh, to try and make, you know, uh, uh, to keep them on board and keep them, uh, you know, on your program, too, to keep them enthusiastic. 
it is a big management challenge. You know, and, and I don't think people think of it that way. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting that uh, I've seen even individual people leave and so forth places, and the the the, the arrogance <coughs> the arrogance that some people have. One of the was a lady. Well, it's been so long ago. I can talk about it. A lady at the CBOE. I won't say her whole name, but her first name was Judy. Uh, she was the head of the membership department, and I was the membership chairman of the committee for eh, two years, vice chairman for a year, and membership chairman for two years. And uh, Judy and I were, were big pals, I mean, big pals. She was also she was also the uh, secretary of the exchange. She was she was the corporate secretary, and uh, so she did all the. It, she was one of the few people, Kevin, talk about. Talk about a, a lost art. She was uh, uh, huge at shorthand. You know anybody who can do shorthands anymore? I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know a soul. But it was, it was so weird. You, you, you think, I mean, especially a talker like me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, you know, a pretty decent writer, I think. Uh, but I have to write the stuff out, and I go over it a couple times and make sure, and I read it out loud to make sure, especially if I'm going to publish it. I mean, I, you know, and uh, so she says, well, we should uh, send this guy a letter. And I go, yeah, we should. <laughs> she goes, pulls out her pen. What do you want to say? And I'm like, I, just just as the as the the, the uh, ability to take shorthand is lost, I had no ability to dictate a letter. Talk about a practiced art. But oh I, yeah, that wasn't easy. No, I mean, I, it was something. I remember the guys at Pullman, and I, uh, John. What the hell was his last name? He was he was a treasure. What a, what a character that guy was. Uh, but boy, he 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 ran. He had like two assistants and a secretary, and he ran a massive. Was Pullman Trammellville, Pullman Kellogg, Pullman Swindell? They would do deals overseas, and Kelly did all this stuff. He was just an amazing little Irish guy, but he he was such a character. I mean, uh, and he had he had a uh, assistant. Uh, what the hell's her name? Anyway, but she'd come in on Monday morning, and, and all she did she come right in my office and tell me about her bowling over the weekend. She took that Archer Express in. Uh, which is your typical South Side lady that bowled three nights a week and uh, had the hubby. One day she's telling me, you know, I think I've spent a f- ten thousand more hours with Kelly than I have with my husband. <laughs> he got he, he got her out of the the typing pool when she was like twenty three and he was twenty eight. His first promotion, you know. And uh, anyway, some guy would come in and, from some bank and he'd give him uh, he'd give him some big presentation and the guy'd leave and all of a sudden you'd hear him bellow out of his office, Evelyn, tell that guy to screw off. So of course she'd write the screw off letter and bring it in. You know, we lo- we loved your visit today. Loved meeting you. By the way, we're not so sure we can do any business with your firm at this time. He'd go and sign it, and he's like, ah, "I like that guy." All of a sudden, the letter would be, "We'd love to have you come back again." And maybe, you know, he did all he did was give her like code words. Yeah, she, she was the cat. <laughs> but anyway, the dude did. But everybody had kind of a name. But it's funny. Uh, uh, so some people, when they leave, there's this collective knowledge. I mean, when, when Judy left, her, her she gets married to some guy, and he was, uh, I don't know what he did, he retired, moved to Tennessee, and he got some kind of farm or something, I don't know. But he, uh, um, he in two weeks that she had given her notice, she had all the, the notes from every board meeting for like 20 years at the CBO in one file cabinet, organized perfectly, all the membership stuff in another cabinet, or two cabinets, organized perfectly, not one person came there in two weeks and said, by the way, where's all the stuff? Where, where can I find all this? They didn't care. They didn't care. It was they would eventually, though. I mean, that, that's the thing is eventually. And you're right, losing institutional knowledge. 
um, losing what's in people's heads, especially if they're longtime employees, is a big deal. Um, and that's that's one reason why you might want to keep someone around for p- at least part of the 60 days is to doc- document what you did and what you do, um, and to uh, uh, and, and maybe to you know do some transition work with uh, with somebody else. Um, but a- again, you're not likely to have somebody who's very enthusiastic about it, so you you know you, you can have that poisonous attitude. Um, and the second thing is, especially when we're talking about tech companies, it's the sensitivity of what you do in the yeah. first place. Uh, I, there have been many situations where I'd get um, notice from, you know, somebody moving on to a really good job. And it wasn't even a contentious situation. And they'd give their notice, and I would say, okay, um, how about we make today your last day? And, and the reason you do that is, is it, it isn't that I don't trust you, Tom. It's that the proper thing to do for someone with the kind of access and the kind of responsibilities you have is to say, once you've already decided to check out, I should not let you have continue to have that kind of access. Well, if you can trust uh, this, contrast so it, you know, it's there, there's lots of reasons to keep people. There's lots of reasons to cut people loose right away, um, and it it really becomes a case by case issue. Well, you contrast this with the blue collar side of the world, where what Pullman did the uh, you know the the big. Amtrak cars you still see the double deckers; those are all built by Pullman. Now they've been they've been redone since then, but Pullman did them, and I worked somewhat on that one. But mostly I was on the Boston contract. But everybody knew they didn't have another contract, so so you would there there was a schedule, and at the at the end of the last week, the last car rolled off the door. Everybody knew that Pullman passenger was essentially kaput, but they didn't have. I mean, you wound guys down. I mean, you obviously didn't have any guys putting the sides together when you're finishing the inside in the last car, but there was never any... I mean, I, I talked to the management people after, you know, I was long gone, but I just ran into a couple of them. I said there was never any animosity, was never anything. It, we're just, the work's just done, and guys worked as hard the last day, to, saw the last car go out the door, said goodbye to everybody, and left. I mean, it was it was just a, you know, as I guess if you... Sure, they, uh, they were professional about what they did, yeah. so they worked like real pros, and but that was the deal, too. You weren't walking in one day and surprising them and saying, oh, by the way, remember that job you thought you securely had? Yeah. No more. Um, I'm sure in their so, heart of hearts. You know, again, how, how you treat people on the way out the door and how you treat people when you're wind, winding down a project like that is something everybody else notices. And uh, it becomes a really important, uh, important aspect of winding something down like that. Well, plus you would have hoped, I think the hope always was, that cooler heads would prevail and there'd be another contract. Uh, but they got bought, was talking about we got maybe a, a minute here, but they sent us as management people. I was considered one of the up-and-comers right now. <laughs> How wrong were they on that? Because there was nothing to up-and-come in. It was The company was gone. They actually sent us to this seminar for like three days. So basically, listened to class all day long and first the afternoon we played golf and everybody drank like knuckleheads. We don't want that pheasant run place. Remember that joint? Uh, sure. And uh, So, uh, most interesting part of that, I was, back in those days, I was out jogging on the golf course at 6 in the morning, and all these guys in their corporate jets were doing their touch-and-goes on the runway. God, was that cool to watch. Anyway, I mean, uh, so, the, so, so of course they get bought by Wheelabrate or Fry, and they, they just laid everybody off in the absolute worst way. So talk about wasting the money on the seminar. <laughs> they just laid every, they laid every, I, I remember that when, I, when everybody got canned, right? So it was my turn to go in, and the guy goes, your services are no longer needed. And I go, first of all, I never even met you. You don't even know what my services are. Just give me my packet. <laughs> and walked out the door. How's that for being grumpy? 
God, I would never do that, would I? But I said, I don't even know my services work. Just give me my packet. <laughs> Shut the bleep up. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and stop giving me that BS yeah. talk. You know, you, my service. Hey, we're laying you off. We're letting you go. We, you know, say whatever it is. Your services are no longer. You you're know, being, you're being you're bleep, right. Yeah, you're you don't being know a damn kid. thing about me. You're being bleep kid. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, is what happened, and you know they got rid of everybody. And a year uh, later, the company was being right sized. Is that the like the ultimate? Uh, <laughs> well, the thing I got back at him was I was the guy to put together a, a, uh, a, a when they were being they were bid for the company, right? So they bid for Pullman, and we put together a package of, of a, a forecast going forward. So and I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm the guy putting it together, right? Well, other people did all the numbers. I just I did all the paperwork, and so. Everybody gave their best case of what's going to happen. Pullman, Pullman Freight was going to make a billion dollars the next year, or actually make sell a billion dollars worth of cars. So Robin, who was the treasurer, goes, "Wait a minute, we don't have anywhere near the line of credit. We can't borrow enough money for the parts to build that many cars before people pay us. What, what are you guys?" So we put this glossy thing together for the Wall Street Journal publishes it right. <laughs> so I, I get my stuff. My name was down. It gets published in the Wall Street Journal. And all of a sudden, within six months, Pullman Freight was closed. Pullman Travelmobile was closed. <laughs> These guys talk about buying a pig and a poke, so I guess I got my revenge. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't Good job. Like, <laughs> anyway. Good job. Anyway. You know, again, this is, this is the kind of thing that people don't think. They're, they're making financial decisions. And look, if you go into management, sooner or later, you're going to have to fire somebody who doesn't really deserve it. I mean, it's bad enough. It's bad enough, you know, that you hate firing someone who absolutely deserves it. Yeah. I always tell my students, if it ever gets easy to fire, uh, fire people, get out of management. You're too cold-hearted to lead people. Oh yeah. Um, it it shouldn't be easy. But when you really have to, you know, do something like that with somebody who doesn't deserve it, and these are people with families and with, uh, you know, uh, financial responsibilities of their own, um, it's it's hard. Man, and you have to really, uh, you know, a, a, a smart company is very, very conscious about that. If you ever want to be able to hire good people again, you better be conscious of it. Kevin, yeah, I get that we got a dash here, but I, I get the feeling that I, I, I feel better. I would feel better about canning somebody in Chicago, where I think, well, the Chicago that you and I used to love, where you know they're only going to be two weeks without having another job. I mean, I, the part I would really have trouble with. I mean, when, when Robin, of course, she, thank God, she was in, uh, she was on a Amex floor, and her husband's in, in uh, engineering and been building homes. Her entire neighborhood was like right near the Lucent facility in New Jersey, where she said when they fired all these people at Lucent, her son was in like fifth grade at the time, and they went from twenty five kids to twelve or something the next semester, and everybody's house was for sale. I mean, it just it just buried a whole area. I mean that. I don't know what I'd do about that. I mean, I'd, I'd, you know, to hire to fire an attorney in Chicago, knowing he's going to jab at another law firm two weeks from now. I mean, I, I, you know, I think you can get over that. But uh, especially, well, yeah, you do get over uh, it. But still, you, you know, yeah. you're 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 upending someone's life, and you yeah. need to be conscious. At least for a little bit, you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Kevin, thank you. Uh, we'll be right back. SP Peters down thirty-four. We got Mr. Flanagan and Mr. Murphy. All these tanks that are heading over. Mike's been all over this one, so. Uh, we talk about that, and we're also going to talk some about classified stuff. Which, I'm. Uh, by the way, I, do I have to get my attorney to search my place to see if the, I have any, have any Kevin? Or can yeah, I, I, I think you should. In fact, I, you know, they, I remember back in the Steve Garvey days when people had uh, bumper stickers that said "Honk if Steve Garvey's your father." I think we should get <laughs> honk if you have uh, classified documents at home. <laughs>
Oh, God. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks and Jocks. Hi, Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708 349 3456 that's 708 349 3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com that's myhomesourcerealty.com are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause painkillers muscle relaxants and anti-inflammatories are not the answer at Cairo Med, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give Cairo Med a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at Cairo Med and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give Cairo Med a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. 
Weather outside is nasty today. It's not horrible, horrible, but it's just enough to aggravate you. SP Futures down 35, NASDAQ Futures down 159. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? We do indeed. So, uh, Jan, hey, Tom. Good morning. I understand as a uh, an attorney, you're out at Mike Murphy's house searching his house, and he and his wife are going to the local no-tell motel and, <laughs> while you search. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere in my archives, Tom, there is stuff I shouldn't have left my job or my employers with. I, I can't say now what it is or where it is or how important it was, but it's, it's pretty hard not to do that at some point, especially when you got people who are working from home in great numbers now, too. So. Um. But why do you, having have somebody else search your own place? I, I can't get a handle. They, they, they interviewed Mike Pence yesterday, and he's in this very austere library with the whole walls, all kind of books and everything. Is that just all for show? Does he even know what he has? Well, probably not. I'm sure none of these people ever went through it page by page. Who, who would expect them to? Or how many people can actually say they saw all the stuff that got packaged up? I, I think you know that's just extremely unrealistic. Um, and it, it, it shows in a way that this can become a sort of a, a time bomb where I'm afraid that it's going to be used, you know, in any kind of situation now where you want to, you know, winnow the group a little bit or get somebody off the stage or discourage them from, you know, seeking political office or high political office. Uh, because if they once had any kind of security clearance and they've been doing something else for a while, it's going to be pretty hard to show that they, they may not have something in their bag is just going to embarrass them. Well, or, well Mike is going to help help out with this, but when, I, when Wayne was talking about it, I mean, there's all kinds of levels of stuff. And, it, and of course, in our... We have, hey, Mike, how are you, bud? I'm just going to... I'll finish my thought and I'll let you talk because we're... There's, there's all kinds of, like, you know, levels of stuff. And you know, and uh, I know uh, my buddy uh, Marty Leno, who was uh, at Pullman, one, probably the smartest man I think I've ever met, uh, guy stopped going to college when his kid like graduated high school or something. I mean, he just took. He was an engineer, but he worked on. Uh, he was. I think he worked for. Uh, who, who did the Huey, Mike? Was it uh, Bell? Bell. Uh, who built the, the Huey helicopter? Uh, anyway, we we worked for one of those places. But he, they brought him into the Pentagon, and he was supposed to do research on, I think, the planes that went down when Jimmy Carter had the thing in Iran. In Iran. Uh, but in those, I, I don't know if those were Boeing. Anyway, I, I forget the names of them, but those are the ones that they never should have used because everybody knew there were problems in the sand, and of course they got a sandstorm, but they used them anyway. Uh, so he said you go into these rooms, and they'd bring you the documents, and you walked out with, like, nothing. They'd almost, like, search you. But my question is, on some of the stuff, like the Senate, and I'm like, that Biden, you know, who knows? I mean, I'm not, this is not a, a push for him or anybody. I mean, supposedly, he, you know, these things were sensitive documents from... The Senate, but I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Is the place so screwed up that if, if somebody brought something very sensitive into a room where a senator or whoever had to come in and sign their way in, read it, and leave, and sign that they left and left the thing, if somebody took one home, wouldn't you think somebody would be looking for it? Mike, there's so much here that I, that every and every man with trying a little bit of a South Side logic, there's so much <laughs> here that just doesn't connect. What, yeah. what am I missing? Well, Tom, it. Uh, when look, I have briefed in uh, you know it, at Congress. My guys, we we took in classified into the skiff that they keep showing on TV, and you know we give the briefing. The congressman or the senator asks their questions. They may take some notes, 
and then, you know, we leave taking our classified home with us, and maybe we leave them a document, maybe we don't, but the document is supposed to stay within the skip, so within the sensitive compartmented information facility. So it, it, it shouldn't be um, it shouldn't be missing, and I don't understand how, for, for instance, all of them, okay. Clinton with, you know, 30,000 deleted emails and a server in a closet in Denver. Trump seems to think that he can wave a magic wand and declassify information. No, there's a process for that. You know, and, he, and he's down in Mar-a-Lago with a bunch of documents that are still marked classified. Well, they should be marked unclassified if he has declassified them. And then Biden's got all these other documents all over the place, and he shouldn't have them. You know, granted, you can mix in classified papers with unclassified papers, but that's only when you're working in a secured facility. None of the congressmen that I know of are working continuously in a secured facility. We, you know, I used to work in a secured facility so I could keep classified open or, or I didn't have to put it away at night. I could keep it on my desk. But for the weekend, I would have to lock the stuff in a safe and then I'd be, uh, it, it, it wouldn't go anywhere. But, you know, as you just said, people could take classified out of a skiff, but you know it was the skiff was guarded, and then that's a willful disregard of the regulations to take the right. classified can you back up, out. Can you back up a little bit on the layman? What's a skiff now? When you give this kind of a uh, whatever you're doing in front of Congress, this isn't one where everybody in the world with cameras and gallery and all the other stuff. When you went in to give somebody, is there a special room in Congress used for this? When you say a skiff, what are you talking about? Yes, there is a special room. It was in the basement of the Capitol building, and SCIF stands for Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. So it's got the heavy doors. You're not allowed to take any electronic media in, so they have little portholes like little mailboxes for your cell phones, for your, your wristwatches if it's a smartwatch. Anything electronic, you can't take into a skiff, into the sensitive and this, this includes information the, This facility. includes a congressman, too, allegedly, too, right? Uh, that's correct. I mean, Ted Cruz was on the news last night saying what they had to go through. Adam Schiff has been on the news saying he pats himself down before he goes into the skiff and before he leaves the skiff. Okay, and that stuff is supposed to stay in there. Now, you guys bring... Uh, documents in now do you have to check those out from someplace yeah we would when we would okay i worked at the national ground intelligence center here in charlottesville so when we would have to go up and give a briefing to congress we would take documents with us in a uh in a document bag in a and it had double locks and then you had to put in there what documents were in the bag and carry that with you so you, when I would then when my guys and I would go into the skiff 
we would tell them what we had, and then we would tell them what we were taking back out. And then we would transport it back to uh, the acronym is NGIC, National Ground Intelligence Center, and then we would put the documents back away, you know, back at our home base. But if, if you didn't do that, somebody there, if it was, I'm going to use the term real classified, I shouldn't be using that, but if it was really <laughs> sensitive stuff and you didn't bring it back, somebody would say, hey, Mike, where the hell is it, right? Well, that's correct. The, the S2, who is our security guy, would then question me on, you know, what we did with the classified. But, you know, we didn't... See, the problem... The problem is, of, you know, most of the people that have committed these violations uh, haven't been in the military, so they're not used to dealing with classified documents. Now, if you've been in the State Department or if you've been in CIA, the or the Defense Intelligence Agency, then you're used to dealing with classifieds. But the people in the White House, for instance, have not, well, I, they should be used to dealing with classified, but some of them might not be. Now, is there a, a, a mess up here, and I'm sensing, just for, this is what uh, Wayne and Lou have mentioned, that this act, however many years ago, that virtually everything the president touches, even his notes or whatever, now, they're, they're property of the National Archives. Now, are, are they considered, they, they wouldn't seem to me to be all of, all of a sudden, if I wrote a letter to you, if I'm in the, in the Oval Office, I wouldn't, that might be something that should go in my library if I ever, if I ever met a library in the south side somewhere, but I'm not so sure that would be classified. Is, is, is that stuff now marked classified, or what's, what's the term for that? They, the president's schedule used to be marked confidential, and then you can declassify it after about a year or two. So once he leaves office, all that stuff, all that information about the, you know, uh, he, well, his schedule was the big thing and, you know, where he was going because, you know, you just wanted to know what he was up to that day. And they kept that close hold. So that becomes sensitive information. But then after a period of time, it does get declassified well, and you, we have to put these type of instructions on the document but I mean would you suspect that the stuff that everybody's crowing about being uh, uh, classified like found in Pence's place is more just vice presidential papers and stuff or is it actual military stuff that you left there and he kept no it, he probably kept some documents from a briefing for instance all right, here's another example of how they get classified. So when I used to work in Heidelberg, we did a what was called a black book every day. So that was a classified briefing for our general officers and for the principal members of the staff. And I would have a soldier or myself as a captain or a lieutenant might walk that black book around to the various individuals and then they would read it and then they would annotate that they read it and then I would take it to the next person. And that way we kept positive control of the classified information. And I'm sure they're doing that in the Capitol. You know, Trump said he received a classified briefing every day. And Pence probably received a classified briefing every day and usually it was their military staff member that would bring it to them 
maintain the pos or the positive control, and then that military member would take it back to wherever it originated from. And in the presidential briefing, the CIA does. Over. Okay. John, do you have any questions? I'm, I'm doing all X in here. Well, I just, is there any kind of blurring of the line, do you think, Mike, between what is, say, personal papers generated by the president or anybody in elected office? And yes, there probably is, John. There probably is, and people do have a tendency, and I will admit this, to overclassify things. But, for instance, you know, if, if, if Vice President Pence or Vice President Biden wrote a paper saying, here's what I think we ought to do in, let's say, Ukraine or Rwanda or wherever, then they're going to classify that because they don't want everybody to know what the U.S. intentions are over. So, so then that would end up, that's, but he might have it just in his bottom drawer. And then even though it is, nobody really would want it to get out, correct? That's correct. But it, they would still staff it. it it's going to have to go within the government so that all the policymakers can give their opinion to it. Okay. So, uh, why, when, it, when, the, when everything, when they change power, this is the part that I, has to be an absolute disaster, when they change power and one guy on January, whatever day it is, is president in the morning, they go to the inauguration in the afternoon, the other guy moves in, that's got to be one hell of a four or five hours in the White House. One guy's you're, a- you're absolutely correct. And, for instance, uh, you know, this was something that I heard about, and it's really kind of irrelevant to the classification issue, but, you know, the Clinton administration, when they switched over to Bush, you know, they removed keys on typewriters or on computers so that people couldn't type properly. Yeah, they really messed so they with they ruined it. keyboards. Okay, so now in the transition period, someone has to review all the documents that they're boxing up. And, you know, during this, you know, and they have a full two months to transition. So, and there, I think that there are enough staff members to review all this, all this material. But for instance, now Biden, you know, I've heard it on the news, he has 1,850 boxes of information at the University of Delaware. So I kind of doubt that that stuff was reviewed properly, just given what's happened with the rest of his documents. How do you get 1,850 boxes of stuff? You, you just generate paper, Tom. I mean, it's it, it, it's amazing what the bureaucracy does. <laughs> we had a we had but, a you know, and here you know, I was talking about this with Gene the other day, and you can um, shred documents as you see that they're you know that their usefulness is over with. But a lot of people like to keep the paper that backs up their assertions in a classified document because then they got to prove what they've said over there when back uh when i started at pullman i don't know i always get back to this pullman thing. Back, back, that back in those days you didn't have any computers on your desk right you guys remember this and, and they had the big ibm stuff down in texas and these big you know places look like pillboxes 
and everybody would get their run in the day. The stuff would run. It was, remember that paper with the holes on the end, the big wide stuff? The, uh, so the guy would come around with a, with a pickup, with a, with a hand truck, and he would dump your runoff on your desk. So if you were the accounts payable guy, <laughs> you'd get this big thing dump, dumped on there, and you'd find out who paid the paid places or you, who you didn't pay or paid, and you'd go through the whole thing, and you'd make calls all day long, and this guy get the check, that guy, and you make all his annotations. Would go at night, somebody keep punching, and you get the new run the next day. Well, some guy, he left. I don't know if he died or what the hell happened to him, but nobody knew what he did. And every day for the next, like, three months, this guy would come with his big run and dump it on his desk. And all of a sudden, the desk got so high, they kept falling off the desk onto the floor. Nobody had any idea what the guy did or what was in the runs. <laughs> Just, i got to believe that happens in government all the time. That with the same kind of, does anybody even know what all these people do? Yeah, I mean, I knew what all my people did. You know, it was very, but, you know, I don't know how the White House, you know, operates. Uh, I mean, I have an idea how the intelligence uh, infrastructure operates, but I, I have no idea how, like, for instance, the White House, and I know I know how an Army headquarters operates, but, you know, and most military organizations are similar to that, but, you know, it, it, you're playing a lot of fast and loose up in D.C. because, you know, there's leaks of information all the time because, you know, policymakers like to leak information to see how people will react to it. Over. That happens. What well, happens a lot. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't know how. How do you even control that? I mean, it's or, or you use try and use common sense out of people that maybe you're not so sure they have some. Well, the the Brits use what's called the Official Secrets Act. That's how they control it. So if people leak information, they get prosecuted. Over. Uh, what. Uh, well, we're going to break in a few minutes, but we come back uh, while, while we have a few minutes. What did you think of uh, the doomsday clock moving closer to the, the gong than oh, Cuban yeah. missiles, missile crisis? Jan, what do you think of that? Well, I'm, I'm not surprised because this, this, the, the Ukraine mess has now turned into you know, something with a, with a doomsday conclusion in everybody's imagination, I think. This didn't seem that likely a year ago. But I think it's, it's kind of you know, awakened people to the fact that there is no uh, no negotiated settlement in sight. Uh, it's unlikely how that could be framed that would make you know both sides sit down together. And the the options available now to either side, I think, are dire and involve you know annihilation, eradication, scorched earth. Everybody's kind of letting down their guards and not you know ruling out anything when it comes to military options. Of course, we have, I think, aggravated the situation unnecessarily by keeping the war going longer than it should have with our supply of armaments and money. And we can see what the latest firing of all these crooks in Ukraine, where a lot of this money ended up. It had nothing to do with fighting the war, but it was simply the bankroll people who were just on the gravy train. And after a while, people are going to see that this this war should have ended six months ago. What do you mean by should have ended? The... The Russians should have won. Yeah. Well, yeah. Why would we want that to happen? Well, w- w- the alternative now, Tom, is that we're going to spend ourselves into oblivion to lose it anyway. Well, uh, I don't know. The, I mean, I don't know the, if the losses of you know Ukrainian soldiers are eight to one versus the Russians, I think we can pretty much figure this war is going to go on 
a lot longer if we keep funding the Ukrainians, but it isn't going to make the Ukrainians any more likely to win it. Well, I don't, I don't know that uh, the rest of the people in Eastern Europe, we'll talk about this more after the break, I'm sure a lot of well, and, and This is death legacy we've created now. We're going to, we're going to stink in the noses of our so-called allies. Um, and some of them are now seeing the wisdom of backing off on this. And, you know, it's well, too bad that we kind of fanned the flames and invited or, or twisted other people's arms to throw all this money and armaments into the situation when I think it was a foregone conclusion from the beginning. Well, we could say that in, in the public debate. Everybody's behind it. It was our patriotic duty to see, you know, Ukraine, Ukraine strong and make sure it was going to win. But that was just a pipe dream, Tom. Who, who could really believe okay, that? Okay, but I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get Mike to opine on this after the break, but... The, the idea that the, the some Russian group, not Putin, you know, made a deal with these people that they're going to be independent and they gave up all their nuclear stuff and everything else. Mike knows more about this than me. And all of a sudden, you get a new ruler and he goes, oh, screw that deal. We're going back in and taking you guys back over because I think you really belong to us. I mean, I don't know. Pol- what do you think Poland thinks of that? Not, not so much. I mean, uh, Czechoslovakia, I mean, we've been through this before. I mean, uh, I mean, I you know, I don't, I don't know that it's Vietnam, the domino principle, but it's it seems a little odd to me that you're just going to say, yeah, go ahead, take whatever you want, because why, why would it's, you stop there? To me, it's, it's like what we did with the Kurds in Afghanistan, yeah. where you know, we, we talked a good line and, and threw some support towards them, but in the long run, we never had any intention of going to war on their side. And I think it's going to be the same thing, or, and it should be the same thing with Ukraine. We shouldn't be in their period. But now we're in so deep that the exit, whatever that looks like, is going to be well, so Well, what do you think of... And, and, well, ponder this while we're on break. What do you think of the uh, Henry Kissinger, <laughs> essentially, uh, uh, that the, you can't assume that the negotiation is going to take place between Putin and Zelensky? He said, we essentially have to pirate, you know, pile it over the top, and, and our people, Biden has to talk to Putin and said, look, why don't you guys get back in the world, the world place where your people can make money, we can do trade, you can sell your oil, why don't we? Why don't we just forget about? It? He thinks that the negotiation has to be at that level, not uh, Zelensky and Putin. I mean, well, let's, after the break, you guys going to pine on that? I actually agree with it. I mean, I don't see how those two guys are going to negotiate. I mean, it's. I, I I think we need to do something on our end, or the rest of the world does, or the UN, or somebody. That's the futures down thirty-five. Nasdaq futures down one sixty-two. A lot of this is Microsoft. Some of it Boeing. Not as much Boeing, but some Microsoft, some Boeing. Be right back. Stocks and Jack. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. 
We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom. I'm Burn on the board. SP futures down 37. Kansas futures down 166. Dow futures down 228. Do this quick here because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Over in Europe, uh, mildly to the downside, but not much. DAX down 69.5%, FTSE down 16.2%, CAC around on 31.3%, so a little lower than the last time we went through this. Over in Asia, we just have the Nikkei open, up 95 points, 0.3%. The other guys closed for the year of the year of the rabbit, right, Matt? That's Isn't right. Isn't yeah. that what we decided? Uh, bonds up down 3 basis points, 3.43. The bond down uh, um, 5 basis points, uh, 2.10. And we've got oil... Uh, 23 cents, 80.36, but we're cl- lower than it was the other day. We were 82 the other day. Rent up 15 cents, 86.28. Natural gas down 16, 3.09. And we've got gold down 9 bucks, still over 1900, 19.26. And we have the U.S. dollar is uh, down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, up a little bit. Uh, Euro's down to 1.08 where it's been for a while. Same thing with the pound, 1.23. What do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning. Currently 7.34 a.m. on January 25th, 2023. Traffic overall, it's moving at a slower pace due to the current weather conditions. Uh, visibility is currently less than a mile, so keep keep to the limit, don't tailgate, and stay safe. Uh, speaking of which, weather in Chicago currently snow showers. Right now, 33 degrees, a high of 34 later today. As far as this week, a chance of snow tomorrow, and that continues until Saturday. Right now in Phoenix, clear skies, currently 35 degrees, a high of 61, and a low of 30. Yesterday in the NHL, Blackhawks lost to Canucks 2-5. to And yesterday in the NBA, Bulls lose as well. A close game with the Pacers, 116-110. to They're up 21 points. Is that right? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Uh, Mike and John, aren't we, the, uh, aren't we the year of the dragon? You're the rabbit. <laughs> no, us. <laughs> oh, us? Yeah, aren't we the year of the dragon? I think we are. Isn't that supposed to be the best year? Uh, look how that turned out. The jury is out on that. Huh? <laughs> we're, we're still we're still hoping for better things. <laughs> Keep hoping, yeah. yeah. Mikey, do any of us know what we want to do when we grow up? I don't know. <laughs> we're gonna get Mike back. So, Jan, what? Um, it's uh, it's always interesting when this kind of stuff happens because it's it's clearly uh, the you know these these countries. I think we're making a, a decision between the Western economy and Western way of life and what was going on in the Soviet Union, which is still kind of a, a bleep storm with a few people making all the money and all that stuff. And these countries, one after another, Poland and Latvia and all these places have said, look, we don't want any part of that. We want to be part of the West. And 
I think Ukraine was, and I, you know, me being a, a, a free person, I think people get to do that. I mean, and uh, obviously Putin feels otherwise, and he thinks we're going back to the, you know, we need the Soviet needs to control all these people. And, uh, you know, we, we, the U.S., we like to control people economically sometimes, but uh, I don't know that we necessarily feel that we should take over Mexico tomorrow or some other place. I mean, we've never, it's just not our mindset, but other people seem to be, I mean, you can obviously say that back in the 1800s, we sure did that with the Manifest Destiny, you know, sea to sea and mm. the Indians and that kind of thing, but the Native Americans, but, I mean, I don't, it's just, it's not exactly our mindset to, wow, Mexicans got oil, we want oil, let's take it. I mean, uh, yet the Russians, I mean, like Lou says, I don't know that we understand that point of view, but I think you have to resist that kind of at all times. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I really, I don't ever plan on going to Taiwan or whatever, but I don't think it's good for the world if China just wanders over someday with their navy and kills a whole bunch of people and takes it. I mean, I, I don't know where that ever ends if, if it's not stopped. I mean, I, I don't I never saw it end until it was stopped. Have you? No. The thing about Ukraine, Tom, is that you know, Russia has a, a strong case that it can make that it is traditionally, historically, a part of Russia. Now, we, we may want to see it differently, and there's all sorts of ways you can parse it and say, well, they're not the same because of language, whatever. But when, but the Russians don't see it that way, and they see this as, as a, a attempted theft without assistance by using NATO as the, the bargaining chip here to expand NATO, when really, after the fall of the Soviet Union, I think it would have been a, a wise decision to disband NATO, and certainly not expand it, because that could only be seen as a continuing, you know, threat and a barrier to better relations. Well, maybe we did that because we thought a guy like Putin might show up, and he did. Yeah, but, I mean, Ukraine was in under the sphere of the Soviet Union. Well, they conquered it. Was formed. It isn't like anything really changed. What, what everybody ignores here, too, Tom, and this is where this, this stuff with the, you know, classified information that Biden's been discovered with, is that there are so many people in Washington with their fingers in the pot. In oh, Ukraine without a doubt. That, that, that we cannot see this as, as it's just a land grab. It is not just a land grab. It, I don't think it's a land grab at all. It's, at some level, it, if you look at what Russia's you know, history with this place is, but you add to the fact that we've got people here who are banking on whatever businesses they have been conducting there, legal or not, and you've got national policy now, international policy, and NATO behind these interests. And these interests don't represent your interests well, or my interests or anybody. I, I know totally of. agree, John, and I, I would love to see some sort of a real sorting out, for lack of a better term, of the Washington situation. And I would pick countries that maybe you or Mike would know about, but nobody else would. I don't know, we seem to have lost Mike. Uh no, I'm here, oh, Tom. Yeah, I'm saying, but I, I think you could start at a place. Remember, uh, Jen, you were—I uh, don't know—you guys, you guys were first floor and second floor people freshman year, so you didn't know—you didn't know anybody cool in, in school. <laughs> I was second floor then, first floor, second year. Mike was first floor; he was way down there. What, remember, remember Mario, Mario DiCardinal? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he came from Nicaragua, and didn't his, his family have to leave because the guy who was in charge of Nicaragua was chasing him out or something, and he was end up at Notre Dame and. The place was essentially a bleep hole. Well, how much money, since we were freshmen, have we poured into Nicaragua, and it's still a bleep hole? I mean, the same people are leaving, can't wait to go somewhere else. I mean, I think you could chase down our, our money going overseas 
virtually any country you wanted, and you'd find a bunch of thieves on our side, on both sides of the aisle. Anybody get their finger in it, they get their finger in it. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt about that. But hey, Mike, what? Uh, can you talk tanks? I mean, I, I mean, I after after world, all I know is we had Sherman tanks, and then we got this other tank that everybody said was so heavy it, w- it wouldn't it would crush after the, the bridges in Europe. And uh, I don't know if we ever if we even kept making that one. It was too wide for half the bridges. What what is a leopard tank? Who's making all this stuff that everybody's planning on giving to? And by the way, how many do these? How many do people have? I mean, are people still producing? Two tanks a month, one a month, ten a month. Do we, are the lines still open? Can we replace? Maybe? Yes, Tom. The lines are still open. The Germans produced the Leopard twos. Finland, Greece, Poland, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, and Turkey all own at least a hundred Leopard two tanks. And then we're talking about shipping thirty-one Abrams tanks to Ukraine. And I think the goal is they want to form a Ukrainian tank brigade, to, which would be about 100 tanks uh, to battle or to fight the Russians. So, and I want to talk a little bit about what John was talking about. You know, the Russians have considered uh, Ukraine within their sphere of influence, and and that's really what it comes down to for Putin. But they also, they always want a buffer between NATO and uh, Russia. And now with Ukraine threatening to go to the West, more than threatening, I mean, they are essentially part of the West now, and Poland is already in the West, the Russians have lost their historical buffer, although still Belarus is in between. So, and then we're going to provide them, and NATO is going to provide them with uh, armored personnel vehicles, and that, that'll be at least another brigade. I would say it'll be more than that, because they're talking about in the hundreds on uh, armored personnel vehicles. So we're giving Ukraine, uh, or we're selling Ukraine, significant firepower, and they will hopefully... Uh, be able to beat the Russians or at least, you know, come to a stalemate. Now, this gets into what John was talking about, you know, and what you were talking about with Kissinger, who is going to negotiate the the final uh, surrender or the final treaty of, between Ukraine and Russia. And you're right, it has to be us. It'll be similar to what we did with the Balkans. Over. Yeah. What's uh you know, you can. I mean, Jan, Jan, of course, probably knows way more history, so I'm sure as hell not going to debate him on it. But I can see where the Russians. But I'm going to say Jan, with his legal mind, probably would agree with me that if you actually went back through the documents, the French had no business selling us the Louisiana Louisiana Purchase because when they got it from Spain, mm. they told them that it, they that they would never sell it, and it would reverted back to Spain if they ever thought about selling it. Well, I could say that we could we could probably say that the Spain still owns Chicago. That doesn't mean Spain can show up and say we we got this document. Here's our tanks, and we're going to blow the place up if you don't give it back to us. I mean, it. Some, I mean, you just can't go killing people. I mean, I you know. Well, I mean, it's one thing to to purchase. You have an agreed upon price and have the price paid. Same thing with the U.S. purchasing, you know, 
Alaska from Russia in 1867 and and getting, you know, total control over it. It's a territory, now it's a state. Uh, once it was sold, there's not too much the Russians had to say about it anymore. And they knew that when they entered into it, and they needed money. And the, the French certainly needed the money when we bought Louisiana. But, you know... If, Spain was not in any position to do anything about it. Right, so then what about, but now 30 years later, 100 years later, they go, wait a minute, this is really, let's not go too far into that, but, Mike, what are are the capabilities of of these, I mean, when's the last time we had a new tank design? How good is this Leopard? I mean, Mm -hmm. is it like a Tiger tank? I mean, I don't know anything about it. Plus, how long would it take if you you drove up in a tank for John and I to learn how to drive the damn thing? (laughs) I mean, what kind of training do you need? Okay, so the... um, the Ukrainians are sending, I believe, over 600 troops to what's called the Grafenbeer Training Area. It's in southern Germany. It's in Bavaria. And we're going to train the Ukrainians on combined arms operations. And it will take a while for them to get used to combined arm operations, but they've already been doing it. Their, their most recent attack that they did in the Donbass region of Ukraine um, you know, they did use combined operations, combined arms operations. But there's, you know, you guys are talking history. Well, there is also history involved with Ukraine. Sam Nunn negotiated uh, the surrender of all the Ukrainian missiles uh, when the Soviet Union fell or when it collapsed. And when we negotiated the surrender of all the, uh, the nukes that Ukraine had, we guaranteed them protection at that point, and that was in the 90-91 time frame. So that's what comes up when, you know, it says that NATO needs to safeguard Ukraine. So that is another point in the history that is an irritant. It's more than an irritant to Putin. So, uh, but, you know, as you have discussed with the nukes and all that, you know, Putin made a statement that said, if we fight with the Ukrainians, he will use tactical nukes. Well, I mean, we're not quite fighting with the Ukrainians, but we're supplying them everything that's enabling them to fight. So, but what really irritates the Ukrainians, it's a Slav-on-Slav fight now. So they, they take, they think the Russians are their Slavic brothers. Well, that's not cutting it now, and they are really irritated with Putin over. Yeah, well, Luke's convinced that uh, the, the, the Russian Russians are convinced Ukraines are like subhuman. You know, that the, uh, the, the, the highbrow guys, the Putin's buddies. Huh. Well, it's Putin's buddies that are beginning to uh, fall away from Putin. I mean, one of his good buddies is leaving Russia and going west. You know, there's a lot of Russian money in London, and it's only a matter of time. And I, I really think that Putin is losing the populace. I mean, this happened with Afghanistan, and and the mothers of soldiers are a significant lobby in Russia, and he is losing the support of the common people. Over. I think I would lose your two guys' support if I took your. 5,000 yard yacht away from you. <laughs> John can't live without his, I know. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's got to be. Well, that's, that's, I think, what, what Kissinger's point is, Mike, that, that 
that the, that the the overture has to be let's cut this crap out you guys need to join the real world and come on everybody had money before now everybody's broke i mean everybody's dead what are you doing i mean do you think that goes anywhere with this guy uh i'm not sure because putin essentially is all in you know this war now has lasted over a year or not over a year almost a year and he you know he he kind of <laughs> well he really has put all his ducks in so who knows at this point was over. he uh, are you hearing uh any back channel stuff i get some stuff from people uh listeners that he's i'm not saying he's on the same page as uh the Fuhrer in terms of that, you know, that in, but in terms of how many how his health is going down, wasn't Hitler on something like twenty three prescription drugs a day near the end, and they thought that uh, uh, I don't know, meth, meth, meth was going to take away the side effects from the other drugs. I mean, he was a disaster. I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard stories that Putin is is up to ten or twelve a day. I mean, I don't know if they're right or not. I mean, the stuff I get. I mean, you hear anything like that that he's kind of falling apart. Well, yes, I have. Rumored, yes, Putin's per, you know, uh, persona is you know a power persona. You know, they he always shows the pictures of him riding a horse, bare chested, or hunting bare chested. So he's losing some of that uh, his power persona. Over. I haven't seen uh, him playing hockey where the goalie runs the other way when the puck comes. He gets like seven goals in a while. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> At least when you played basketball, nobody nobody could help you put it in the hoop. You had to get it in there yourself somehow. <laughs> I, I, I agree completely with what you're saying about the mothers of Russian soldiers and what a strong lobby they are. Do you see a, a counterpart in Zelensky's eventual fall from grace in all of this, too? Do you think the Ukrainians are souring on him, too? Uh, I don't think so yet, John, but this most recent move where he is firing the corrupt politicians, that could backfire on him, but, you know, his, the Ukrainian people are backing him from everything that I read, and he's getting positive feedback on everything that he does, and he came into office, you know, you know, as a clean politician, I mean, he's a television personality. But he he's really done well with the U- Ukrainian people, and plus you you have uh, major you know boxers the the uh, I forget the name of the two brothers uh, that one's a mayor of Kiev and then one is also a power player. They're still back in Zelensky, so you you have a lot of support for Zelensky within. Uh, Ukraine and all of Western Ukraine, you know, west of the Dnieper River, is uh, supporting him almost totally. It's it's only in the Donbass region where you have all the Russian speakers, and that's where you know, and and a lot of that region is part of the breadbasket of Ukraine, and I think that's another reason why Putin wants that area. Do you think, Mike, that eventually? Uh Someday, maybe if Kissinger's right or whatever, or somebody tries to pull this off. Uh, first of all, do you, I guess, do you think there's already back-channel stuff going on? And do you think Ukraine would give up part of that Russian-speaking area? I don't think Zelensky will, and that's where it will take some high-level leverage from us. Over. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, I really don't think that those guys are gonna are gonna be able to do this themselves. 
I don't know if it's us but, or the but, UN. But we, Zelensky keeps insisting upon he wants the Crimea pa- back too, Tom. So yeah, I don't you know, exactly. that's another, you know, that's a very sensitive area. So, I think that's a non-starter. Uh, and, you know, I heard one of your other uh, contributors talk about Catherine the Great bought that, and you yeah. know, which you know, there's a lot of history with the Crimea too. But there were a lot of Tartars in Crimea that Stalin displaced. I mean, he he moved them all to Tartarstein. Well, I don't think so. they're going to give up. They're, not, they're clearly not going to give up the use of the warm port. Uh, so, however that, so yeah, I, I think that's a non-starter. But I mean, I'm just trying to find any kind of a line here where, where, where it'll you know after months of negotiation, it, you know, the deal might actually happen. I I don't know enough about the area. I mean, I, uh, you obviously know more than me. But I mean, it's somewhere along the line. You think this has got a but the people that I know here from the Ukraine are, are all in. Uh, matter of fact, some people are going back there to fight, I think, aren't they, or haven't they? That's correct. And uh, so, I mean, we'll see. This coming uh, spring and summer, let's say if the Russians launch a, uh, a an operation from Belarus, because they're doing a training operation up in Belarus, that's what they wanted to do last year. Is they wanted to make it go a, a straight run from Belarus, or so, so from north of Ukraine, right into Kiev. If they're successful at doing that, then then that might force Zelensky to the negotiating table. Over. What uh, what do you make of? Uh, and John's been listening to, to Lou as well. With the idea of uh, you know not enough guys that are what do you say six weeks or six days between the time they. They pop you on the head and then sign you up for the army, and you're already in the front, and we're not even know how to use the gun, and with a summer uniform, and is that what you're hearing, Mike? That, that they what for the Russians? Yeah, Tom? for the Russians. Yeah, they, the, this last conscription, this last cohort, went to the front after about two or three weeks. They hardly got any training, and then uh, you know that's one of the reasons why the Ukrainians were able to, to inflict such heavy casualties on the because all these trainees were all in the same building. And there were probably hundreds of cell phones going on, so the Ukrainians just targeted the cell phones. Over. That's a. Uh, I mean, uh, were, were you? I mean, Lewis talked a lot. Now he's from the Air Force, your Army guy, about how the Air Force guys are, are stunned that the Russians' inability. He's, he goes, the individual planes are good, the individual pilots are good, nothing you want to mess with. He said, but the the ability to coordinate an attack, you can't believe that it's as, it's as bad as it is. What? How do you? Where do you think that's from? Well, I don't think they get. Uh, I don't think they get enough training as a collective, and by that I mean you know you can train individuals, but then it starts costing more and more money to train, like a fighter group or a fighter squadron or a tank battalion. So, and because of that, uh, it, they they cannot. Um, fight effectively as more than probably a company level and I don't know what the term would be for you know an air force but it they, they can't their command and control is weak over well on our, on our end uh, and I, you know don't talk out of school here but if, if a group from someplace Fort Sumport or other an armored division is sent someplace or just a regular I guess a regular whatever a regular division is and they go someplace who then coordinates the air piece for that group? For the, I mean, who, who's in charge of the 
overall, because obviously everybody shows up the same day. Maybe if the Navy has to, they do. And I mean, who who coordinates the fact that we're not just going to run a bunch of tanks out there without the the air airline air guys taking out the radar first, and then the other guy? I mean, who who does all that major stuff? Is is it within the Army? Is it Army Air Force combined, or is is there? No, it's a combined operation, and it'll be whoever the commander is for that region so for instance in iraq it was the centcom commander so you had schwarzkopf was in charge of all of that and then he had an air commander reporting to him he had a navy commander and this happened on a daily basis they'd come in for a staff meeting and then that that's where all the coordination would be done and we would give them a briefing at that time they got two briefings a day and then th- they would make their decisions, and then those individual commanders would then go back to their unit and, uh, you know, implement the plan. And we always go for air superiority. You know, Lou knows that better than I do. And w- where we could probably help the Ukrainians the most, but then it really gets us involved, is to give them, uh, you know, an air uh, air zone, you know, a... I no, forget the phrase. No fly zone. Used. No fly zone. Yeah, no fly zone. We could really help them by doing that, but then then NATO is into the operation fully. Well, who makes sure that uh, that the that the Air Force is going to bomb, you know, west of Western Avenue, and that the Army knows not to go west of Western Avenue until two o'clock or something? I mean, who gets down to that level of detail? That's the plan. That'll that'll be in the plan. If, if, for instance, in Iraq, you know. Uh, in I forget what the operation was, but Schwarzkopf, you know, we we declared, okay, we're going to bomb until we hit and we've rendered the Republican Guard ineffective. So that took, you know, 30 days or 45 days, however long it took. So we waged an air campaign to prep the battlefield, and then we invaded. So, you know, that was all part of the plan. Over. And uh, so the guy who's in charge of the theater does all that. Like, like Ike was in charge of pretty much everything that day. When we went. That's correct. And the, and the same thing would happen in Europe. The NATO commander, who's usually an American four-star, uh, I forget who it is now, you know, he will coordinate that entire operation if we ever do, uh, you know, aid the Ukrainians formally on the ground. Over. Where's uh, you and Jan together? And we got a couple minutes. Poland is, are they sticking their neck out pretty much just out of fear or because they got the million, gazillion refugees? or where do, you, where do you think they're, they are in this? Looks to me like they're all... They, they, do, they do not want to be under any kind of Russian influence. They, that's why they're sticking out their necks totally because they're aware of what happened in World War II. People yeah. actually remember what happened in World War II. Yeah. John, what do you think about that? I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm equally concerned I, I agree about where Poland stands they are you know they endured such horrific suffering um, and, and this is not just in World War two but it goes back hundreds of years from the Russians but I worry that our entanglement with NATO exposes us to Russian um, strategizing through the, the former Baltic states and all they have to do is to attack Lithuania Estonia or Latvia and we're bound to respond and we have a full-blown war that, that it parallels exactly what was happening in World War II in, 
and it shows that, that a lot of what the war was fought over never was really resolved. And I don't know if there's enough money or armaments or blood in Europe or in Russia or Ukraine or any of these smaller countries to keep a war like that going very long before you bring in nuclear weapons. And then we've got, you know, a, a, a war of the annihilators. And we we seem to be moving in that direction, unfortunately, and we seem to be kind of careless or reckless in courting that kind of outcome. Well, the I mean, you could certainly, and we've got a, we've got a dash shifter, you could certainly say that, I mean, I've, I've been reading some stuff lately, I've, you know, you read stuff all the time, that if, if it wasn't for the Americans, we wouldn't have even the peace we have in the world, which is pretty crummy as it is. I mean, we... The, the reason why, you know, China's laid off Japan is because we're back in Japan. I mean, it's, I, what do you think? I mean, Mike, to me, it's it's un, it's unfortunate, but it's also pretty simple. I mean, these guys that like to just go take out, I mean, you would think that the guy in China would have enough enough to deal with with his own billion people, of which he's lost probably 50 million of COVID, or whatever the number is, because now they supposedly have less people in India. you think he'd have enough to do there, but they never think that way. All he's worried about is Taiwan, it appears. But you, I don't, how do you stop that mentality other than by force? I don't. I mean, nothing's going to talk to the guy in North Korea someday. Somebody's going to drop something on his head. I, I don't really want to see that. But am I right or wrong? I, I think invariably you're. You know, you are probably right, Tom. But you know, you know, regret, regrettably, we are the world's policemen. So we just have to keep that roll up. And you know, John, I agree with you. It could bankrupt us, but. You know, unfortunately, no one else is going to do it. So, you know, we are the leader of the free world. Last, so quest, last question, Mike. Why Lou talked forever, uh, well, for a while, about how Germany is essentially, you know, got their skirt on and have, and, have, and, have, and have backed out of this. Well, recently, all of a sudden, what has caused the change there? You know, because he, he, he actually sent a, Lou's always right, he, one day he was talking about how the, the, the bankrolling of Ukraine's all been us. The next day, he sent out a letter to everybody saying he's wrong. In the last three months, Europe has contributed way more than we have, and Germany's the biggest contributor. What, you lived there for a while. What has all of a sudden changed? They got the fear of God in them, or what? Well, you you had a change of government, so that's one thing, and and the Germans are feeling the effect of the refugees also. But you know, I I think a lot of it's due to the changing government, and they do not want. Uh, and, and now they're off of Russian oil, so they have a little more freedom than they used to have. So, um, you know, that's, that's a factor in all of this. And, you know, Merkel was a little, you know, eastward-leaning. Well, this guy I don't think is over. No, it doesn't appear to be. All right, guys, we got a dash. Uh, very informative. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning because, obviously, this is, this is going to affect – Economies, it's going to affect what stocks we buy. By the way, Mike, who, who makes tanks? Do you have any idea? <laughs> I I know they're made up in the Michigan area, Tom, somewhere, but they're huh. probably made all over the U.S., different parts. All the different um, parts. You know, I forget who makes the Abrams. I have, I really don't. That was not part of my. Uh, how many? How many? Think, how many think we make a month? I have no idea, Tom. I bet it's not very many. It's not going to be a hundred. I mean, it's. I bet there'll be more in the coming year, Tom. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if I knew who they were, I might have a lot more, John. Yeah. That's what I'm trying, trying to find who these companies are. Maybe I can invest some of my people's money in there. Anyway, SP Futures down 45. We're leaking pretty good. SP Futures down 203. Back tomorrow, Stacks and Jacks.
Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Roller coaster, ups and downs, you know that.